it's just amazing how he continually comes and comes and continually meets me in those moments. I can just sense his presence with me all the time. I just know in any trial, God's going to be there for me. And I'm going to find his goodness and his loving kindness through it all. As the world slept, angels filled the skies and proclaimed the coming of the promised one. This one, long awaited for, would be God with us. God with us in our fears. God with us in our suffering. God with us in our struggle against sin. God with us each and every day of our lives, inviting us to journey into a deeper fellowship with him. In this show, we'll hear from several staff members about how God drew near to them, encountered them, and dwelt with them. Thanks for joining us for a special Christmas episode of Purity for Life. Adam and Eve were the crown of God's creation. They were set apart, completely unique from the billions of other created things. Untold numbers of galaxies, animals, and plants surrounded them, all declaring the glory of God with spectacular beauty. And yet, nothing compared to these two image bearers. They were created with a special capacity and an extraordinary privilege. They were made for fellowship with God. What nobility to be able to see, comprehend, and live in the life-giving presence of the eternal God. How heaven must have stood in awe at this great honor, and how it must have wept when they fell. What groaning must have filled the sacred halls of heaven as they watched the image bearers thrust out of the presence of God? What horror they beheld as Adam and Eve's minds and hearts, which once had been filled with the pure light of God, were now plunged into spiritual darkness and decay. It was into that descending darkness that God spoke a word of promise. He foretold that a man would come and dispel the darkness and reconcile God and man into fellowship. And so we waited. We waited through the long years of death and decay, through suffering and sorrow. Thousands of years later, the Holy Spirit took hold of a man named Isaiah and said, The Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth and gross darkness the peoples, but the Lord shall arise upon you, and his glory shall be seen upon you. God had not forgotten. His promise would not fail. Into this dark world a light would come and dwell with us. As the fullness of time drew near, a boy named John was born to Zechariah the priest. He was chosen to prepare the way for Messiah, 
And soon after his birth, Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant, so that we, being delivered from the hands of our enemies, may serve him without fear in holiness and justice before him all of our days. And you, my child, you shall be called the prophet of the Most High, for you shall go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people, to enlighten those that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Yes, Messiah was finally near. He was right at the door. And it was in Messiah that God himself would be contained. In him, all the power, love, justice, and mercy of God would dwell. Redemption, salvation, deliverance, remission of sins, tender mercies, enlightenment, peace. All in him. Messiah would be Emmanuel, God with us. Josh Broadhurst is on our video production team here at Pure Life Ministries, and he told us a story of how Emmanuel came near to him, leading him out of a superficial faith and into a true knowledge. Growing up in a Christian home, uh, Christianity for me was more of a lifestyle than a personal relationship. Um, And really, I don't think there was a point in my life where if you asked me if I was a Christian, I would have said no. But about three years ago, the Lord brought me through a period that to this day has been one of the most difficult things I've ever been through. I'd been riding the coattails of other people's faith for so long And everything that I believed about God could be shaken easily because I based it off of what everybody else was telling me. And there was no real foundation of truth. There was no real foundation at all. And so God had to, in his mercy, um, put an end to that. Really, the only way that I can describe it is is that if you can imagine standing in the middle of a vast uh, stretch of land where solid ground stretches all around you, and then all of a sudden, that vast landscape drops out. And all you're standing on is this small, tiny little bit of land, and everything else around you is a black pit. And that's what it felt like. If I took a step in any direction, I had nothing that was going to hold me. Um, It was like everything I had was stripped, and I was completely alone. During this time, as I would read my Bible, thoughts and questions that I never thought about before would race through my mind. Uh, Questions like, how do you know? Are you sure? What if it's not true? And I had no answers. I couldn't answer those questions. Um, It was painful. The simplest questions that came, I couldn't answer. And honestly, it was debilitating. All of these different things that I was dealing with during that time and wrestling with were really just lies from the enemy um, that he would shoot at me. It was as if I was being pummeled with like 
a hundred arrows at one time, just questions, lies, questions, lies, questions, lies. And one of those um, lies that he started to plant inside of me is uh, that God was selfish. Um, As I would read certain things about, you know, Jesus and him getting the glory and us throwing our crowns before his feet, it came across to me as selfish. Like, wait, he gets all the glory in the end, like we walk through suffering, we walk through trial, and he gets all the glory in the end. It really was a battle and a struggle for me to wrestle through that in my mind. Um, and it was during a Sunday service where I was at a ministry uh, up in Chicago and was just there at the service, and someone was talking about the rule and reign of God. Um, and, you know, if those thoughts came in again. It's just like, this tyrant this that's just going to you know get all the glory and rule and reign it was a battle in that service and i couldn't stop it and then the minister walked up to the microphone and it was as if he just like spoke right to me he had no idea why i was there he he had no idea and he said jesus will not rule like a man would rule and right then it was as if i could see jesus on his throne And I was standing before the foot of the throne and he came down to me and just hugged me, wrapped his arms around me. And all I could do in that moment was take my crown off and throw it at his feet. And I realized at that moment that it wasn't his selfishness. It was just that he was the one that brought me through it all. And that's why he gets the glory is because it was him that did it. And it just, it, it was like, those hundred arrows were being shot at me and the Lord took his bow and pulled back an arrow and shot it straight into my heart. And it went so much deeper and there was so much more joy and so much more peace when that came in than all the despair that I was facing. And it really was just this moment between me and the Lord where he answered that question. He came in to my mess, to my thinking, to my lie And he just met me and said no. And he just came in right then. And it was a personal moment between me and him. And that's just a picture of what the next four months became. It was me spending time in his word, battling these questions with him alongside me, answering them, coming to me and and showing me things in his word in a Sunday sermon where it wasn't that someone was saying, Josh, this is what you're going through right now, and here's the answer. They would just say something, and it would be like the Lord would just swoop in. And I'd be like, that's that's it. That's the answer. That's the truth. And it would just cause this gratitude and this joy to flow inside of me. And three years later, do I still battle with those things? Yes, but not like it was before. Um, less intense, less amount of time of battling. Um, but he's put something in me to where I know I can go to him with these things. Um, and it's just amazing how he continually comes and comes and continually meets me in those moments. I mean, if it was me and I was having somebody who kept asking the same question over and over or kept coming to me with more questions and more questions about things, I'd be like, okay, look, we need to stop. But that's not how he is. And I'm so thankful that even though there's still battles, there's still struggles, there's still this thing inside of me, he just keeps meeting me. 
And I'm so grateful that he's slow to anger, he's merciful, he's patient with me, and that there's this relationship now where I know I can go to him with these things and that he'll meet me there. And he's put something inside of me of a foundation that I never had before. On a snowy day in December, Josh and Dina Bergstrom received their third child into this world. The joy they felt and the love they had for their new son, Hudson, was deep and powerful. I mean, to hold your child, this newborn human that has no ability to take care of itself, I mean, you're holding it and you're like, I've got to take care of this child. It's an amazing and awesome experience. Um, Big responsibility. So about two weeks after uh, my youngest son was born, a staff member just texted me a scripture passage, and it was Psalm 34, 1 through 7, and it says, I will praise the Lord at all times. I will constantly speak his praises. I will boast only in the Lord. Let all who are helpless take heart. Come, let us tell of the Lord's greatness. Let us exalt his name together. I prayed to the Lord and he answered me. He freed me from all my fears. Those who look to him for help will be radiant with joy. No shadow of shame will darken their faces. In my desperation, I prayed and the Lord listened. He saved me from all my troubles. For the angel of the Lord is a guard. He surrounds and defends all who fear him. This encouraging passage was God's timely word for Josh and Dina, preparing them for what was about to happen. One afternoon, Dina called Josh. Hudson had been having difficulties eating, so she took him to the doctor to try to find out why. The doctors told her that Hudson needed to be taken immediately to the hospital, and they should prepare to be there for a while. The joy that Josh and Dina had felt was soon drowned in a wave of fear and anxiety. Come to find out it was a life and death heart issue that had to be taken care of really soon. He had to have surgery um, at two weeks old. And, you know, I'm honestly making funeral plans for my son. And that was a really, really hard, dark time. Because I didn't know why. He was so young. And it's just all of a sudden, you know. So we we get him up to the hospital and it's just a flurry of activity. We don't know what's going on. Doctors and nurses coming in and out. And I remember that one moment where I'm in the room and I think back to that text, that scripture passage. And the Lord knew I was going to need all of that to get me through this trial. And the verse that says, in my desperation, I prayed and the Lord listened and he saved me from all my troubles. That's all I had to hold on to in all that time because I was helpless. I went home at one point and I was packing our suitcases and she let me know something else happened. A really scary thing had just happened. And all I could do was just throw up my hands and say, Lord, I don't know what else to do except just worship you in this moment. 
And I listened to this song called Jesus Reigns. And it became my anthem throughout this whole thing. Jesus, you reign. You reign over death and hell and fear. You reign. And even though it was a trial, I was still able to worship in that. And that's where God brought the peace that I can't explain, that doesn't make sense in that situation when I worshiped him in that. His presence was there. His presence was with us throughout the whole thing. And scriptures like, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that fear no evil, you are with me, are real to me now. And, you know, David said, surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. That doesn't mean happy times, but that goodness and loving kindness are going to follow me. And in that valley of the shadow of death, I experienced God's goodness and his loving kindness. And it's been that way for the past three years where I just know in any trial, God's going to be there for me. Whatever way it turns, I, I can I can go to him and I'm going to find his goodness and his loving kindness through it all. As I think about the fear that Josh and Dina experienced soon after the joy of Hudson's birth, I remember that Joseph and Mary also went through a fierce trial after the joy of Jesus' birth. After the astonished shepherds came to see their baby, and after the wealthy magi came to worship, Joseph had a dream. King Herod was determined to murder their brand new son. What fear they must have also battled as they fled to Egypt. But Jesus, their Emmanuel, was with them. And this is God's timeless promise to all of his children, that he'll be with us in our time of trial. In fact, it is our trials that bring us into an ever-deepening awareness of his nearness and his greatness. I learned as a very young Christian, I learned the hard way, that suffering was part of the Christian life. And when my husband shoved a pile of pornographic magazines in front of me and he said, this is what I do, that was my first foray, if you will, into such intense devastation that there really are no words. Any woman listening to this knows what I'm talking about. It just rocked my world. It was through the suffering and the losses that I came into fellowship, a greater sense of fellowship with the Lord. I had rough spots in the very beginning. I just didn't know what to do with it. And I was told, like many other people were told, when you come to Christ, everything's going to be wonderful. And that had not been my experience. So there was the letdown, the disappointment. But as I started really growing and walking with the Lord, it was through the suffering and even the chastenings of the Lord that revealed a side of God that I would have not known otherwise had I not been through those painful experiences. What I found was that he was with me in a very wonderful way, and it took me time to grow and to understand the ways of God because it does not compute that a good God inflicts um, suffering. It doesn't make sense, but it was through the pain that I found him to be Abba, my Papa, 
I found him to be my friend. I found him to be ever-present, even though I didn't necessarily always, quote-unquote, feel him. I knew he was with me. One of the things that needed to happen for me was I needed to be humbled. Because without humility, you can't see the hand of God in suffering. If, If I would have remained in my own prideful, sinful condition, I would have been an angry, bitter woman. But it was through the process of that event in my life that humbled me, and that's when I began, just began to understand God was in this. And all of a sudden, I started to realize that the Lord was dealing with me, I've got this sinful husband doing these sinful things, but God was looking at me, and he was after me. And that took time to reconcile and to understand it. But as time went by, as we, Steve and I both started to journey out of that life, more and more, it was like everything changed. Everything about God changed in my mind. He became not angry, not punitive, not trying to get me to tie my laces just perfectly, but he was the God that was with me and he was near to me. And everything that he allowed in my life, I really did begin to get everything he was allowing in my life was his mercy. And that humbled me and it changed me. One of the things revealed to us through the Christmas story is that God's ways are not like our ways. He chose an unknown virgin girl to give birth to the King of Kings. He revealed the tiny Messiah to nameless shepherds, foreign wise men, an elderly widow in the temple, but not to a single prominent Jewish leader. And he allowed his only son to spend the first years of his life exiled in Egypt. The good that comes from suffering is another one of God's highways, another thing that is difficult for us to grasp. But through it, God wants to reveal that he is our Emmanuel, not only for times of crisis and need, but for each and every moment of our lives. As the years have gone by, now decades have gone by, and what I have with the Lord is, His nearness is very real to me all the time. Even in menial tasks, I know he's with me. I know he's with me. It's not something I have to question or wonder about. He directs me. I can call to him at any time. He hears me. I know the Lord hears me when I cry to him. And so there's this relationship that is just, it's my life. He is my life. He is my all in all, and I worship him. That is my my daily life. The daily fellowship with the Lord comes from coming into the reality of my great need. There's a song that we sing here often, I'm lost without you. That is my life. And that is the fact of the matter. It's not just cliche. It's not just words. It is my reality. And I think that's because of all, you know, (laughs) life is difficult. Um, There's a lot of things that can be very painful. 
but all of that produced brokenness and the reality of my desperate, desperate need for Jesus. The Lord has had to chasten me severely through the years, and um, that chastening brought me into the wonderful reality that I am lost without Him, and He is the air I breathe because I have nothing else beside Him. Emmanuel, God with us. So far you've heard three people speak of Jesus' personal, intimate involvement in their lives and how it was Him who made all the difference. When Josh Broadhurst needed the shaky foundation of his childhood faith broken up, Jesus came to him personally to create a solid faith and a true knowledge of God. When Josh Bergstrom needed peace in the middle of a terrifying storm, it was Jesus' personal triumph over death and hell and fear that gave him strength to move forward. When suffering of many kinds came to Kathy, It was the nearness of Jesus and his deep love for her that gave her an inexplicable joy, even in pain. But God with us is more than just his closeness. It is the union of man and God where there is a shared life and a rich fellowship. If a person truly has been born again, then of course the Spirit of God lives in him or her. So in a kind of a generic sense, the Lord is with any believer. But the more uh, that the Lord is able to conquer us inside, meaning conquer our self-life, conquer our pride, conquer our flesh. Well, it's kind of like what John said, I need to decrease and he needs to increase, speaking of Jesus, of course. And that's what the process of sanctification does, is it takes us deeper and deeper into God, you know? And so when you're going about your daily life, I know for myself, I'm the sort of person that I get totally focused on whatever I'm doing, and I am totally all in on one thing. And so I tend to get very tunnel-visioned, and it's it can seem like the Lord is a million miles away, but he's not. He's right there with me, leading me, guiding me, sometimes speaking through me, uh, directing my paths, and helping me do whatever it is I'm doing. You know, even if it's not ministry work, I can just sense his presence with me all the time. Emmanuel really comes out kind of in First John, the first chapter, where— um, John was talking about being in fellowship with God and being in fellowship with each other. And in our staff Bible study a couple of weeks ago, we talked about this, about the level or the depth of fellowship that we can have with God when we really enter into a real relationship with Him. And that makes a way for us to have that same kind of depth of fellowship with each other. And that is so much more profound and deep and meaningful than what you typically hear about in American churches, which with the idea of fellowship is we're going to go fry some burgers or watch a football game or something. That is not what John was talking about. He was referring to something, a very powerful aspect of the spiritual life 
that that real believers have and what they can share together and the strength of that and how the Lord can come into that. First of all, he establishes it, but then he comes in and um, in that love and in that unity and in that fellowship, the Lord is able to thrive with his atmosphere. It really is a very powerful concept. To close this episode, I'd like to play a chapel talk that Pastor Ed Book gave to the students in our residential program. He gave this passionate appeal during one of our monthly three-hour services where he was sensing that the students needed a new sight of God as a pursuing lover who desires to be with us, who longs to win our hearts for himself. If you want to open your Bibles, I'm going to be in a uh, book we probably don't use very much uh, called The Song of Solomon or Song of Songs, depending on your translation. And in verse 2 of chapter 5, um, you know, just to be clear here, you know, there's, a, there's someone called the Beloved and then there's this Shulamite or the woman, and these are the two lovers. You know, the Beloved is like Jesus to us, and we're supposed to take like the role of the Shulamite in the account. But here in verse 2, it's her speaking, and she says, I sleep, but my heart is awake, because it's the voice of my beloved. He's knocking, saying, open for me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one. Man, do do you ever hear Jesus talk to you like that? Because I don't think this is just like some rare thing. This is what overflows out of his heart toward people. This is how he sees us. He, I think, just gets so seldom gets opportunity to speak to you that way. But that's what's in his heart. Open for me. Open your heart for me. Open it wide. Open the door. My sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one. For my head is covered with dew, my locks with the drops of the night. Now, wherever he's come from to get to her door, it wasn't just like two houses down. Because his hair is wet with dew, his locks are dripping. He's come from some distance. He's pursued her. He's wanted her. And when he arrived, it's apparently either, you know, late at night, wee hours of the morning, it seems to be. And he's knocking, asking, begging, pleading for her, speaking tenderly terms of endearment to her, asking her to open to him and listen to her. Verse three, I've taken off my robe. How can I put that on again? I have washed my feet. How can I defile them? Do you hear her? Like, Jesus, this isn't really a convenient time, okay? I'm in the middle of other things right now, specifically sleep. I like sleep. I like sleep too. I was up here just remembering, I don't know how many times, but it happens often enough, (laughs) that it's like three o'clock in the morning and I wake up and it's like the voice of Jesus saying, come away with me, my beloved. And I feel sometimes just like her. You know, I want to be able to testify to you that I spring out of bed and I rush off to the uh, quiet time chair and get in 
his presence, but in reality, too often, it is like this. You know, it's like, Jesus, don't you know that I have to get up early anyway for a half day of prayer, or I have to do this, I have to do that. It's a long week. We've got, you know, this going on and that going on, and I'm not going to get any other day to sleep in. This is the one day I could have slept in, Jesus. We break his heart. What is it that has you stuck in bed that you can't get up? What is it that has you stuck in the world that you can't let go of? What is it that is in the way of you answering Jesus? Do you realize that one of the problems in the last days is that Jesus comes knocking and people won't get up out of bed and answer the door? That's what he says to us. Man, I get stuck on that verse frequently, and, and we should. You know, what is it that has my affections more than Jesus? Because if I was really in love with him, I, I would have been sitting at the door. I would have been looking out the windows. I would have been waiting. I would have seen him coming. He wouldn't have had to knock. I would have yanked the door open and embraced him. That's what lovers are like. That's what he wants from us. My beloved put his hand by the latch of the door and my heart yearned for him. He's still he's trying to get in. Verse five, I arose to open. So finally, you know, it sets in on her. <laughs> you know what, he's worth it. I should probably just get up and go. But look at what happened. My hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with liquid myrrh. She's got herself all perfumed, all, all the outward accoutrements in place on the handles of the lock, her hands there. And verse six, I opened for my beloved, but my beloved had turned away and was gone. You think Jesus isn't right to do that, but I think he's perfectly justified in doing that. My beloved had turned away and was gone. My heart leaped up when he spoke. I sought him, but I could not find him. I called him, but he gave me no answer. You know, we, we want to think that we can have Jesus on our terms and our timing, and when we're ready, he'll be there. After all, he loves us so much, he died on the cross, and gave, God gave his only son that whosoever believes in him can be saved. You know, I'll get around to it. Well, maybe you won't. Not everyone does. We don't know how many days we have, how many opportunities we have to answer that door. That's the truth of the matter. And the watchmen who went about the city found me, and they struck me, they wounded me. <laughs> Isn't that just wonderful? You're out there looking for Jesus and you're getting beat up. Then what are you gonna do? Finding Jesus isn't gonna be easy keepers of the walls. They took her veil away from her. Verse 8, I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, that you tell him I am lovesick. I hope between now and, you know, 9 a.m., 10 a.m. tomorrow morning, this atmosphere and this campus is full of people in their heart crying out, Jesus, I am lovesick. I need you, Jesus. There is nothing else that matters. I am lovesick. I got to have you. 
the world's <laughs> charms, they don't satisfy. They don't reach that place that's lovesick for you, Jesus. The people in my, my life, even our spouses, can't reach the place in us that's lovesick for Jesus. Man, just let that be your cry. I'm lovesick. And, you know, this account goes on and the, the, her friends are, are there and they're like, what is your beloved more than any other beloved, O fairest among women? You know, what is your beloved more than another beloved that you so charge us? You know, why should we care about this Jesus? Do you know that's what your family is? Some of them are thinking that's what your friends back home, some of them are thinking. And what's your answer going to be? because it's not going to be your words that answer that question for them. It's going to be your life. People are looking for Jesus like that. And either we've had a transformation and something in our lives now looks like him and they can readily see it, or you won't fool them at all. And all your words of love for Jesus will just fall empty to the ground. There has to be a life. Chapter 6, verse 2. My beloved has gone to his garden, to the bed of spices, to feed his flock in the gardens and to gather lilies. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. You know, do you know that? Do you have that? Can you call him? Do you think of him as your beloved? It will come out if it's there. It comes out. And when it's not there, it doesn't come out and all your efforts to fake it don't convince. Back when I was in uh, uh, college, I think between freshman and sophomore year or something like that, you know, there was a guy who, uh, you know, he had a, a girlfriend and they were just like in puppy love, you know, kind of thing. Uh, like all he wanted to talk about was her. That's all that ever came out of his mouth until everybody finally said to him, like, just shut up already. We're tired of hearing about your love, or for her, your love for her, or how wonderful she is. And there was nothing immoral, by the way, about it. It, it was, a, as far as I know, a godly relationship, but, but it was just like it consumed him. It was all he thought about, all he could express, all that he wanted to talk about, and it was obvious to everyone. That's what I'm trying to say. If you love Jesus the way you should love Jesus, the way we want to learn to love Jesus, that's how we act. We fill the atmosphere with Jesus. Jesus has to be everything, and the experience of his love and an opening made in you for that same love to flow back toward him, that's it. I hope that in the midst of this Christmas season, this show has brought into focus what Christmas is all about from God's point of view. For us, many times our focus is so wrong. It's about family, it's about gifts, it's about gatherings, sometimes, it's about our pain and our suffering. But from God's point of view, Christmas is all about Emmanuel, God with us, God encountering us, God entering into our experience and redeeming it, God breaking into our world so that he can reconcile us, fallen mankind, to himself. If you're able, 
why don't you pause for a few minutes after this show ends and meet with God in silence. Silence the voice of your fears, your tasks, your plans, and focus on your Emmanuel. As we've heard today, he is life, he is everything, and he is all that we need. From everyone here at Pure Life Ministries, Merry Christmas, and may God be very near to you today. Purity for Life is a production of Pure Life Ministries. For over 30 years, Pure Life Ministries has been the go-to for those whose lives have been devastated by sexual sin. Visit us on the web for more information about our life-changing counseling programs and powerful teaching materials. Also check out our video clips of men and women whose lives have been radically transformed. All that and more at purelifeministries.org.